Hey guys, it's Scott. I just want to thank you for tuning into the Blue Ridge Church podcast. You know, I hope this is encouraging to you. I hope it's inspiring to you. And I pray most of all, it's going to help you on your faith journey. So enjoy today. Well, it's good to see you. I want to welcome you again to Blue Ridge Church. Special welcome to our online campus as well. And listen, if this is your first time joining us or here, uh, relax. We're not going to make you introduce yourself or do anything strange. We're just glad that you're here. We're in the third week of a four-week series right now called Unstrapped. And what we're doing in this series is looking at financial health and financial fitness in our life, what God says about how we handle our resources and how we can begin uh, to get ourselves unstrapped. And Abraham did an incredible job last week talking about contentment, but he talked about this tension right? Especially when you, when you talk about money in church or you talk about it at work, maybe your coworker, you know, you know how much they make or, you, you know, uh, they, this is the bonus they got. Or even when we talk about it in our families, it can bring up some tension, especially between husbands and wives. So I thought, you know, we need to relieve that tension today. And so if you're streaming with us online, you can use the chat feature. If you're here in the auditorium, I just want you to turn to your neighbor and tell them how much money you make. <laughs> don't do that. Not a good idea. We don't need anybody fighting today in church. That would relieve the tension, wouldn't it? But it, but it causes us tension. You know, even in our families, I know I, I've shared this story years ago, but when Lisa and I were first married, Literally, we did not have enough income to cover what we were spending, to cover our expenses. I mean, it was, it was bad. I joke and tell people our dental plan was you chew on the side of your mouth that doesn't hurt. That was our dental plan. We didn't, we didn't have time to go, money to go to the dentist. We didn't have money to go to the doctor. We literally said, we've got to do something different. We struggled. And we said, you know, we've got to do something different about the way we spend money. So what I want to do is just look at a couple of principles that we use that I believe will help no matter where you're at on the financial spectrum. These are things like from Crown Financial or uh, Ramsey Solutions. Uh, You know, good financial planners will tell you these things. They're proven to work because they line up with the Scripture. But one thing we did is once we looked at that, we realized how are we spending more money than we're making? It's because we had like four credit cards and we carried a balance on off. Don't you judge me. We were in our 20s, all right? And they, you know, they, the balance kept getting a little bigger and a little bigger each month. And so we decided we've got to pay off those credit cards. You know, what were we paying? 21, 22% interest. So we set out a plan and we cut back on everything. We sold stuff. We, we, and I thank goodness I got a little bit of a raise during that period, but we paid those credit cards off and we haven't paid credit card interest since then. Now I thought, well, I'm going to share my secret with everybody about how you don't pay credit card interest. Lisa and I've also moved 18 times in our marriage of 32 years. So you just keep moving. And Visa can never figure out where you live to send you the bill. It is a brilliant plan. And it's actually worked for us, so I hope it will work. No, don't do that. (laughs) Truthfully, we, we just finally said we have got to stop spending more 
than we make. And, and so our premise around money has always been give, save, live. And that's pretty simple, right? You give some, save some, and live on the rest. It's very easy to hear. It's very easy to write down. But it's incredibly difficult for us to implement in our life. So I want to talk about those three things today. And I think the starting point goes back to week one. We have to remember everything that we have belongs to God. It comes from God, right? We're just the managers, especially when it comes to money. We're just the managers. We're just the stewards. And we have to guard our hearts, against greed and and consumerism, and we have to be more grateful and more generous. That's one of the principles we learned. And then last week, we learned we got to live with contentment. We got to be happy wherever we're at in life, whether we have a little, whether we have a lot. And if we'll do these things in this series that we're learning, as well as additional things, it's just the outlook on life is so much better. But when we don't do these things, and we don't handle it right, what we end up doing is we mismanage what God gives us. And that causes us all kinds of stress and all kinds of turmoil in our lives. You know, are we going to have enough money to pay the bills? Are we going to, you know, are we going to have enough to last to the end of the month? Are we going to be able to help the kids with their sports and with their school and all of those things? We look at our debt and we get completely overwhelmed. So, you know, these things help us to truly get unstrapped. And so next week, we're going to really look at practical things on on how to start tackling that debt and how to start saving uh, for the future. But And we'll talk in general about debt today. And and we know we all have debt, right? As the American population, I shared the statistic week one, we have $15 trillion in debt. That doesn't count the government, right? $4 trillion of that is consumer debt. And then almost one trillion of the four trillion of consumer debt is credit card debt. That debt that about sank us early on in our marriage. And we hear that term like, yeah, trillion dollars here, trillion dollars there. It's not a lot of money. Well, I read how they explain a trillion dollars to students. Now let's assume they still make the thousand dollar bill. They don't. The highest denomination bill they make is a hundred. They used to make a, a five hundred, a thousand, a five thousand, and a ten thousand. Wouldn't that be cool to have a ten thousand dollar bill? But anyway, they don't make it anymore. But let's assume they still make the thousand dollar bill. If we stacked thousand dollar bills in a stack, and this is how they explain it to kids. I don't care if they're in kindergarten or you know they're in college. But if we, you know, you see those stacks of money in the in the movies, and if we stacked them one on top of the other, and we got to the top of the Empire State Bill, you know how much money we'd have. billion. That's not even close to a trillion, is it? You know, there's a thousand billions in a trillion. You'd have to stack those thousand dollar bills 63 miles in the air to get one trillion dollars. Think about that for a minute. An airplane is like six and a half to seven and a half miles above the air when they reach their cruising altitude. Now, look at the government debt. 30 the 31 billion or trillion, which is essentially our debt too, right? You'd have to make that stack go up uh, 1,890 miles approximately in the air to get to $30 trillion. All that to say, not only Uncle Sam, but us as individuals, we have to manage better the money that God has given us. 
right? And, and a lot of times, like when, when Lisa and I looked at that bleak financial picture, our first thought was, we just need more. We just need more money, and then all of our problems will be solved. But if we never address the root of the problem, we never get unstrapped, right? And you know this, as you've gotten raises, as you've gotten bonuses, if you don't have a plan for that increase, you're just going to stay right in the same position you are. I mean, look at Uncle Sam. Uncle Sam usually takes in more and more money every single year, but then spends more and more money above what it takes in every single year. And that's why we have this, this big debt. And when we look at that debt that we carry as individuals, we just want some, you know, miracle, some magic trick to take care of it. God, give me the, the winning lottery numbers or give me a big check or help me to have a long lost relative, right? That I don't know that passed away, that, that left me all of their inheritance. We just want a quick fix to it. And listen, God does do miracles. He does bless us, right? But often the pattern in the scripture, and we're going to look at a story that illustrates this, but the pattern in scripture is we have to be obedient first. It's a call to obedience, and then God blesses us. Doesn't mean he guarantees to bless us. It doesn't mean we get to choose what the blessing is, but it's always from a position of being obedient. And if you, and if you think about it, that's all God ever wants from us, right? Is our obedience, is our willingness to follow him and to follow his instructions. And God's not just trying to do something for us or to get us through something. He wants to do something in us, right? Any of the principles that we learn. He's trying to change us. And I love this passage uh, that we're going to look at today. It's in the Old Testament, and it's about this lady that is in debt. She's found herself in debt because her husband has died and left her with all this debt, and she doesn't know what to do. So she goes to the prophet Elisha to ask basically what to do. And if you know the Old Testament the, you know, God spoke through the prophets and Elisha was the prophet after Elijah. You know, I always get them confused. So if I say Elijah, I mean Elisha, but that's where we're going to pick up this story. And it's found in 2 Kings 4.1. If you want to follow along with our notes and with the, the scripture verses, they're on that church center app. You can just download that app. Uh, if you're streaming online, the online host will send you that. But here's how this reads. One day, the widow of a member of the group of prophets came to Elisha and cried out, my husband who served you is dead, and you know how he feared the Lord. But now a creditor has come, threatening to take my two sons as slaves. Now, it'd be easy just to read over this and think, oh, okay, you know, she, she's got some debt. Listen, it's one thing in, in our world if they come get the car right? We can't make the payment. They don't even have to come get it now. They can just disable it, right? And they can come get it when you're not home. Uh, you know, that would, that would be devastating, but we could probably find an older car. We could probably get back on our feet. We could probably get around. It, it's a whole nother thing if, you know, maybe they had to foreclose on the house. It was just too much for us and they had to foreclose on it, or we had to move apartments because the rent was too high or the trailer lot rent was too high and we had to move our trailer somewhere. So that's one thing. That's devastating, yes, but they are coming after her children to pay this debt. 
Some of you are thinking, hmm, the way my kids acted today, get out of debt, take the kids, hmm, not a bad deal, right? But it's, it's that serious for her, and she has no clue what to do, so the only thing she knows to do is to cry out for help. And I guarantee you, just like my wife and I, her first thought was, I just need more. I just need more so I can pay off these creditors and I can keep my kids. That's our first reaction. We simply need more to overcome our debt. But she invites God in, you know, through Elisha, you know, what are, what are my next steps? What can I do? And, and I think we have to do the same thing. You know, we're talking about finances in this series, but it could be any area of our life. And I think we have to, let's say our finances are where we want them to be. We're not in the position right now we want to be. I think we have to invite God into that situation, ask him, what do I need to do? And that's what we're learning in this series. Here's some practical things we can think differently about, that we can do differently, and then we have to be obedient. When we do that, regardless of what happens, we are being obedient. And the whole pattern, again, in Scripture is our obedience has to come first. Before any blessing, before any change, we have to be obedient to whatever it is God calls us to do. So we get God involved. We, we get a plan. Again, because he's not going to do it for us. A lot of times we have to take actionable steps. You'll sit down and tell people, hey, this is what you need to do, but then they don't do anything, but they expect things to change. It doesn't work that way. So let's look at what happens next in this story. Verses 2 through 6. What can I do to help you, Elisha asked. Tell me what do you have in the house. Nothing at all except a flask of olive oil, she replied. And Elisha said, borrow as many empty jars as you can from your friends and neighbors. Then go into your house with your sons and shut the door behind you. Pour olive oil from your flask into the jars, setting each one aside when it's filled. So she did as she was told. Her sons kept bringing jars to her and filled one after the other. Soon every container was full to the brim. Bring me another jar, she said to one of her sons. There aren't any more, he told her. And then the olive oil stopped flowing. So you've got this widow. She comes to Elisha, the man of God. And what is the first thing he asks her? What do you have? Right? He redirects her attention off of what she doesn't have more and puts it onto what she already has. What do you already have? And truthfully, you talk to people and you've experienced this in your own life more often than not, when God's going to work in our life, when he's going to do something in our life, maybe he's going to bless your household or do something in your household, it's not necessarily always going to be to just give us more. Often, like this lady, it's going to be better management, at least initially, of what we already have. And I think, you know, we could be in a world hurt with our debt, with our finances, with a relationship, with some type of struggle. But I think we have to ask this question. And that's what Elisha was, was telling her. And it's learning number one. When I am in financial difficulty, I have to ask, what do I already have? What do I already have? And what did this lady, you know, what has God already blessed me with? And what did this lady have? 
She had a flask of olive oil. That was the only thing she had that was worth anything, right? That was, the, that was her currency, if you would. That's the only money or the only bartering, bartering power that she had was that one flask of olive oil. And he says, now I want you to go to your neighbors and I want you to ask for, and I guarantee you her first thought is more. Go ask for oil. Go ask for money. Go ask for food. And he says, no, I want you to go and ask for jars, because that oil that she already has is going to be part, or it's going to be the solution. Her neighbors aren't the solution, right? But they're part of the solution. And again, this pattern, you can see it in the scripture. We're obedient and we put ourselves in a position to be taken care of or blessed or even a miracle in our life from God. Think about some of the stories in the Bible. Um, Esther, You know, Esther did not want to go and talk to the king, right? But in obedience, she went and talked to the king. And who was blessed because of her obedience? The Jewish people, right? You're obedient first and put ourselves in the position of being blessed. Joseph in the Old Testament, sold into slavery by his brothers. He was obedient and he, he interpreted the dreams of Pharaoh. He took the position that Pharaoh gave him. He was obedient with the crops. And who was blessed because of that and saved from famine? All of the Egyptian population and a lot of the Israelites for seven years. He was obedient and then the people were blessed. The blessing may not come to us. It may come to others. Peter, one of Jesus' disciples. You remember when Jesus said, hey, push the boat out into the water. Peter was obedient, pushed the boat out into the water, and who was blessed because of his obedience? The people standing on the shore. They got to hear the message of Jesus. Or when, or when Peter was fishing with the disciples, and they had fished all night, they didn't catch a thing. They got skunked. And they come in, and Jesus says, hey, why don't you throw the net on the other side of the boat? <laughs> Which I can imagine what we would have said to Jesus. Really? You know, we've been fishing all night, and now the fish are on the other side of the boat? Right, But his obedience to throw the net on the other side of the boat, they were blessed with 153 large fish. It's a pattern in Scripture. She had to do something that took great humility. It was a call to obedience. She had to ask for help from her neighbors. And I bet this isn't the first time she went to her neighbors. Right? You know, I need food. I need this. I need this. But because she was obedient... She was in the position to be blessed by God. And then, you know, we also have to take steps. We can't just pray and say, God, here's the problem. You need to fix it. Sometimes there's going to be steps that we have to take. This lady didn't sit around and just wait. She did what she was instructed to do. She went to all her neighbors and she collected jars. Now, sometimes God's going to do something in us. Sometimes he's going to use other people like he did these neighbors to do something for us or to do something for somebody else. And it's not like these neighbors minded, oh, this lady's such a bother. No, they got to be a part of the story of God's blessing in this lady's uh, life. So I think we have to ask, what do I already have? No matter what the situation is we're going through, what is already available to me, what help is available to me, what can I do differently? And I guarantee you, when God provides for us, when he blesses us, or maybe he does a miracle in your life, it's not going to make a lot of sense. 
It may not be the provision that we wanted. It may not be, you know, exactly what we were expecting. The blessing may go to somebody else, but we'll be able to see that. But I guarantee you, he's going to take care of his people. But he wants us to be fully his. He wants us to be obedient in whatever he calls us to do. It's not, it may not make sense. I mean, look at this oil. Does that make sense? We don't know what kept the, you know, the, why the oil kept multiplying. We know God showed up in a big way. We know it was God, but we don't know the specifics and the details of it. This lady didn't either, but she knew God showed up. So really, the only thing we know is this, learning number two. In God's economy, a little oil, a lot of faith, and a plan to be obedient is enough. That's all that, it ma- all that matters is our obedience. So when Lisa and I looked at our financial position, when when you look at your checkbook or I look at my checkbook or my bank account, we need to understand we may only have a little bit. But if we are obedient and we have faith, God says somehow that's going to be enough. And again, we can't just sit back and, and pray and expect God to do something without us doing something. The, the plan may be when we start talking about specifics of getting out of debt next week, the plan may be you got to get a second job. You got to stop a hobby that you enjoy. You got to stop eating. There, there's going to be something that you, we are going to have to do. It may be to work as much overtime if we work in an environment that pays overtime until we get back on our feet. But again, we also have to change the way we manage and, and the way we look at things. But this theme is throughout Scripture, that we have to be obedient first and foremost. Psalm 27, 13 says, Yet I'm confident I will see the Lord's goodness while I'm here in the land of the living. We may have to get out of our comfort zone. We may have to do something humbling like this lady did and and go ask for help. And I know men especially don't like to ask for help in any area of their life. But we also have to have faith that we are going to see the Lord's goodness. And we will. It may not look like we think it should look, but we will see the Lord's goodness. And again, when when it comes uh, to all of this, it causes tension when we talk about it. Now, Abraham hit on why there's tension in church when you talk about money, or specifically when you talk about giving, right, and giving back to God. Because there's been past abuse, there's been uh, pressure put on people, arm twisting, you know, guilt, manipulation. And that's why people get tense talking about it. But I want to look at this and I want to actually look at the verse that he opened up with last week talking about generosity. And what I hope to do uh, in the time that we have remaining is completely change your thinking on what it means to be generous and what it means to give. And if you've ever been to partnership class, I I talk about this in partnership class, 2 Corinthians 9, 7, and 8, you must each decide in your heart how much to give. And don't give reluctantly or in response to pressure. For God loves a person who gives cheerfully. And God will generously provide all you need. Then you will always have everything you need and plenty left over to share with others. Again, this is a call to obedience right? We simply have to look into our heart and examine in our heart as to what we're going to give, right? Uh, And it's a heart issue. 
Again, God knew that money was going to compete for the loyalty of our heart. So it says to search your heart. And if we do that, then we have been obedient. Now, if you grew up in church, you've been in church a long time in your life, you probably haven't heard a lot of emphasis on this verse. Because when it came to giving back to church and back to God, what was the word you always heard? Tithe. Right? Tithe. You need to tithe. Tithe means 10%. Right? It's still what's taught in a lot of the world today. In a lot of churches in the United States, this is what's taught. The tithe. You give a tithe. Now, there is a lot of disagreement when it comes to the tithe. And a lot of churches don't talk about this. They just keep saying, you need to tithe, you need to tithe, you need to tithe. Unless you come here, go to partnership class, because I'm going to talk to you about it. But this is where I land with the scripture. And you can come up, you know, I tell you, don't believe what I tell you. You need to go home and look for yourself. You need to dig into the scripture and see how you interpret it. But I don't believe that we are held to the tithe anymore. In the New Testament. I'm not saying the tithe is not beneficial. I'm not saying we can't learn from it. I'm just saying I believe, and it's pretty clear to me in the scripture, that the tithe was part of the law. And Jesus Christ fulfilled the law. All right? And, and I know you probably, some of you are thinking, I love this church. This is the greatest church ever. Right, But if you think about it, it, and not everybody in the Old Testament was required to tithe. But we make it sound like in church, yeah, that was everybody. No, it wasn't everybody. And it wasn't even just 10% for some. Some, it was like 23.5% under the law. But um, the New Testament, switch to that verse we looked at. It says to be generous, to search your heart. How hard is it to figure a tithe? Do you have to search your heart to figure out a tithe? No. You just move the decimal. Anybody can figure out what a tithe is. But, and I believe truly that the law was fulfilled by Jesus. So we're not bound by that anymore. I'm not saying it's not beneficial. I'm not saying we can't learn from it. And a verse pastors will use to justify continuing to teach the tithe is Matthew 23, 23. And, and Jesus is talking to the Pharisees, the religious leaders, and he says, oh, you're careful to tithe the tiniest part of your herb gardens, but you ignore the more important parts of the law like justice, mercy, and faith. And they're like, well, see, he was affirming the tithe. No, he wasn't. They were still under the law. He hadn't died yet and risen from the dead. He was actually pointing out that they couldn't even, you know, they couldn't keep the law that they were forcing all the other people to, to keep. He wasn't affirming their actions. I mean, he wasn't affirming the tithe. He was condemning them pretty much for their actions. But again, remember, when he's talking to them, he hasn't died yet. So they were still under the law. Now, we can learn from the Old Testament, right? And I know people in this church, and I know people uh, in other churches, and this is their starting point. They're, they're like, the tithe is my starting point under grace. That's what I'm going to be. But nobody should tell you this is how much you need to give. That is a conversation between you and God. You have to search your heart and determine how much to give. 
The new standard in the New Testament since the resurrection of Jesus Christ is generosity. That's what we're called to. And you have to define that with the Lord. Isn't that kind of a relief to know that this is something that God and I are going to decide? So don't get all caught up, you know, arguing. Can you tell I'm passionate about this? (laughs) Don't get all caught up in arguing with somebody about, well, the tithe is applicable. It's not applicable. You know we're called to generosity. That's where you have to land. That's what he calls us to. And when we're generous to God, he stretches the rest of our oil to make it. You could t- I've got 32 years experience with this. That was one thing we said when we started paying off those credit cards. We have to start giving. We have to start being generous to God. And somehow he stretched stretches and stretched back then the remaining we had to make it. You ask anybody that's sitting here, anybody that's watching, and if they have a generous heart and a generous spirit, God somehow stretches the rest to work. That's what he did for this woman. Look at 2 Kings 4, 7. When she told the man of God what had happened, he said to her, now sell the olive oil and pay your debts, and you and your sons can live on what's left over. Now, you may say, well, there's no way I can be generous. I, I got too much. I, I got too much debt. I'm, I'm maxed out. And what we do is we convince ourselves that God's cool with that. And Paul says, if that's the way you're, you're, you're looking at this, you're missing the point. Because in the New Testament, God does not give us a list of who's exempt from generosity. So learning number three, no follower of Christ is exempt from gratitude and generosity. Now, if you don't follow Christ, you'd say, Scott, I'm an agnostic. Scott, I'm an atheist. Scott, I follow another religion. You are exempt from gratitude and generosity. I would still challenge you, no matter where you're at on the faith journey, be a generous person. Because what it does is it takes the focus off of us all the time. It's a call to obedience. Matthew 6.33 says, Seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously, and he will give you everything you need. And again, the obedience comes in when we have the conversation with God and we search our heart. All right? Next principle, and I spent a lot of time on that, but I think that's something that churches just don't talk about. Oh, we can't do that. You know, we need them to tithe. No, we we need them to follow the scripture, right? Uh, Number two, we got to save. Americans aren't generally very good savers. We have to save some money consistently and regularly. It should be a regular part of our budget. We give some, we save some, and we live on the rest. You have to save, and any of these financial planners will tell you, even a bad one will tell you, you got to have an emergency fund, right? Because we get all hyped up, and I'm going to get my finances in order, and we build the budget, and we start working on it, and then all of a sudden something breaks. Something goes wrong in the car, car needs brakes, the air conditioner goes out in the house, or the kids need, you know, this amount of money to play soccer or to play softball or basketball, And all of a sudden, we don't have an emergency fund, and so our budget gets blown out of whack, and we get discouraged, and we stop our our path to getting unstrapped. So we save for an emergency fund, and then then you got to start saving a bigger nest egg, and then you got to start saving for this thing called old age. And believe me, it comes on quick. Or maybe you just want to retire. you got to start planning for that. 
You got to start saving for that because listen, you're going to get old and you're going to want to go out to dinner whenever you want to. And it's going to be real early in the afternoon when you go out to dinner, <laughs> right? Because you're going to want to get home and watch Wheel of Fortune. But I kid you not, when we were in Florida with some, some friends of ours a couple weeks ago, it was like three nights. We ate dinner, we watched the news, we watched Wheel of Fortune, and then we watched Jeopardy. And after the third night, I looked at my wife, I said, this is not good. This is not a good pattern, uh, you know, for us to get into right now. But you have to prepare for that. Don't rely on Uncle Sam to take care of you in retirement. Start saving. It's biblical. And we'll look at some of those passages next week. It is wise. And when we can learn what Abraham taught us to be content, we, we can do this. We, we can give, we can save, and we can live on the rest. And remember, nobody's got all this figured out. Scott does not have this all figured out. We have all made plenty of financial mistakes. I look out there and a lot of you are sitting by your financial mistake, right? I'm kidding. But we have. We've made financial mistakes along the way. The key is, how do we respond to it and how do we adjust? So we give some now, we save some from later, and then we live on the rest. God is perfectly okay with you having a lot of money. He just wants us to be obedient with the way we handle it. He wants us to, what did the verse say last week? A rich and satisfying life. He just wants us to be obedient. To the, to the first two parts. And listen, if you ever, ever, ever feel pressure, if you feel guilty, if you feel manipulated to give, do not give. It doesn't count according to that passage. You have to be happy and cheerful about it. I, I tell people in partnership class, I want you to be happy because of the journey we're on to reach people for Jesus. And if you ever feel like I'm pressuring you or another church is pressuring you, do not give. Give it somewhere else. God's still going to bless you. That's the thing. You know, you got to give to this church. No, you don't. Don't ever feel pressure. So what's your next step? What's my next step? It doesn't matter what we read or, or you know, what we hear. It's how we respond. And the first step to getting unstrapped, or one of the key steps, I should say, in getting unstrapped is simply to be obedient in whatever area of our life God's calling us to obedience. That's what he wants. More than anything, he wants our obedience. He wants our hearts to be fully his. Let's pray together. God, thank you so much for the time you've given us today to talk about really, God, what can be an uncomfortable topic. Because unfortunately, we've gotten off track in past history with this and put pressure on people and really manipulated people. Lord, thank you that you teach us your truth, that you just want us to be generous, not just with our money, Lord, but with, with our, our grace and our humility and our forgiveness and our time and our energy, everything that you've given us. That's managing well by being obedient. Lord, thank you for these people. Thank you for what you're doing uh, in this church, in this community. God, without generosity, we wouldn't be able to do that. Thank you for what you're doing in the other churches in our community as well. We just want to keep reaching people for you. 
Use us this week to make a difference. In Christ's name, amen. So as we finish up real quick, I want to encourage you to bring a friend to church. You know, invite your friends to church, or if you stream with us online, online campus every week, invite someone to watch with you or at the same time that you do online. Most people come to church because of a personal invitation. And Easter, obviously, we're leading into Easter. That's a great time to invite somebody to church. We're going to have three service times on Easter. So this is going to mess up. If this is your regular service, it's going to mess your time up just a little bit. Uh, we're going to do 9, 10, 15, and 11.30 on Easter to be able to accommodate people. So you'll have to come 15 minutes early or just show up at your normal time and, and you'll hear the speaking. I always tell Justin that's the most important part, not the music anyway. I'm just kidding. Gotcha, wherever you're sitting, Justin. Um, so make sure you invite your friend. The other thing I want to tell you about is an opportunity we have. We need uh, some folks to step up to be online hosts. So uh, if you're in person, maybe you've never used that online platform, but we have literally hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people that watch each service online on Sunday. So we have a Facebook platform and we have a website platform, and each one of those has a host. Right? So we use four hosts uh, every weekend. Nicole operates that and manages all those hosts. She does an incredible job of doing that. But we could always use more hosts. That's one of those ministries you can just simply do out of the comfort of your home. If you'd rather come here and host an online service, we can set you up in a room to do that. But basically what you do is you just welcome people. You know, kind of in the chat window, you welcome them uh, to church. You send the links to like the connection card and the prayer request and the, and the notes. And if somebody should have a question, uh, you answer those questions. And, and if you talk to the online host, they really enjoy doing that. But if that's something that you want to do and can help us do that, uh, put that on your connection card. Hey, I, I want to volunteer. I want to be an online host. Or you can simply stop by the hub on your way out and tell them, hey, I'll do it. You don't have to do it every week. You don't have to do it every service. You can do the nine and then watch the 1030 or you can just do the nine and, and pay attention and, and then bolt or you can do it once a month or twice a month. That's, that's what goes for anybody that volunteers in any ministry here. Well, I hope it warms up. I hope you have a terrific Sunday afternoon. Hope you have a great week and we'll finish up this series next Sunday. God bless you guys. Thanks for being here.